Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And this is episode 35. I don't know why I have to announce that at the beginning. I think it's it's the verbal cue for you when you're editing yes, this at the it. end. What yes. should I name the file name so exactly. that Peter can What's upload it? Because <laughs> we come up with the titles later, so that doesn't really help. Yeah, so... We're actually going to continue our conversation from last week on the Athanasian Creed. We talked about the longest creed actually being one of the best creeds, or the best creed. I think by the end, I was kind of convinced that it was the best creed. It's pretty yummy. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So last week, we talked about how to understand it properly, um, because it's on a surface reading, it seems really difficult, but it's actually not that difficult. And so we showed you how to simplify it last week. Well, this week, we're going to kind of continue in that vein and show you how the creeds are, are catechetical in nature. They teach, so they, they help teach you, but what they teach you is actually how to read God's Word. So we call that hermeneutics, the art of interpretation, of understanding something, how you interpret something. So we're actually going to talk about the Athanasian Creed as, as a hermeneutical tool. Is there like an easier way to say that? That I just I sound like highfalutin and academic when I say that, Kevin. What's a better way to say that? So when you open the Bible and you read it, you've got to start with some kind of idea in your head of how you're going to read this thing. Yeah. Like, do you believe God exists? Do you read the whole Bible as though this is a fairy tale? Do you read it as though it's about past events or future events? Do you read it as though the God of the Bible is made up or an actual God? Is you, he another one of the Greek gods? Is he... Uh-huh. See, so... Do you read it as if each verse is a standalone proverb that has right. meaning all on its own? Do you read it as though it's a collection of books all having the same point? Or do you read each individual book as a different religious treatise? Yeah. I mean, all these things, it might sound like silly questions. How do you read the Bible? But yeah, how do you how do you open the Bible and read it? Like, yeah. why are you opening the Bible and reading it? <laughs> That's all the study of hermeneutics, right? That's yep. all the field of what people call hermeneutics. Some dude named Herman... No, that's not No, true. don't, no, that's, that's no, no. Now, before we get into the hermeneutics, if you want to support Crucial Conversations, crucialproductions.org slash give is the page where you can do that. That Actually, by going there, you support everything we do, Anchored in Christ with Pastor Matt Richard, this podcast, The Bible in Five, which I keep mentioning, and we're almost there. We just need some music and an animation thing completed, and you guys will get to see that. And it's it's pretty cool. We're getting pretty good feedback on it, too, from our secret beta testers and and whatnot not the fish no they're not beta fish they're 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 watching it and they're like "Ooh, this is cool it helps me understand romans so in the vein of understanding let's now continue because i already gave the website so i don't need to repeat that let's just go. cool like content let's do stuff let's do it okay so we're going to start in John 1. Whoa. Your Bible looks like it's not in John. It I looks, was reading the Psalms. You were, you look like, yeah, I was going to say, you're more in the middle. I'm in the Psalms. So do we want to start with the Psalms? No, we'll just we go with John 1 because you said it, and it's my favorite book. Well, yeah, it, it really is. So John John 1, as read through the lens of the Athanasian Creed. Ooh. I like how that sounds. That's kind of fun. <laughs> All right, you got there first, so how about you go ahead and read? Okay, so John 1. Um, yeah, 
You read it, and then I'll do the hermeneutic thing. John 1. This is the ESV, I think. All right. Yes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so remember last week we talked about the simple way to read the Athanasian Creed. And for the first section on the Trinity, it's basically two things. Don't, there's one substance, and there's three persons. Don't divide the substance, don't confuse the persons. So, Kevin, when we read this verse, keeping that in mind, one substance, three persons, don't divide the substance, don't confuse the persons, you could even add, don't make the substance different kinds of substances, that there's only one. How does that help us read this passage and understand it properly? Well, this is, I mean, this is a highly problematic text, right? So it starts off, in the beginning was the Word. And anybody who's familiar with the Bible knows that this is, a, is an allusion to the very first words of the Hebrew Old Testament. Yeah. In the beginning. And yep. I mean, even non-Christians know that Genesis starts with in the beginning. And, right? and John did that on purpose. And so John uses the exact same words as the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament in the beginning. But then he pulls a fast one on you. <laughs> because in the Old Testament, it says, in the beginning, God. But John says, in the beginning was the word. You're like, no, 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 no. The only thing that was in the beginning was God. God. And so you go, oh, so what you're saying is the word, which is a translation of the Greek word logos, mm -hmm. right? So the logos is God in the beginning. You're like, okay, that's weird, but maybe it's just a different name for Elohim or Yahweh or something. Okay. But then the next phrase says, and this logos was with God. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> so now you have the only thing in the beginning is God, but now you have the statement that this thing that you're predicating with divine qualities is actually with God. So you have two gods. But... And then, yeah. <laughs> just in case you were scared that's what it says, the next phrase says, and the word... Was. Was God. God. And so you're like, okay, so now this word is with God, is itself divine, and then sure enough, it's confirmed that this word is God. Mm -hmm. So you have God, which is not the word because the word is with God, and then you have the word itself being God. So now you have the word as God and the word with God, which seems like there's at least two gods, one called the word and one called simply theos or the thing with word. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is actually called, in some scholarship, the Johannine Benity. What? Yeah. I never even heard that word. Isn't that fun? Benity? Instead of Trinity, you have a Benity. So instead of three, oh. you have two. And this is where what you just said becomes essential. So when the Bible says God, and in English, if you want to think about it, it's a capital G. Right. Mm -hmm. When the Bible talks about Elohim as in the true God or Theos in the New Testament as the true God, how many substances are there? One. One. Athanasian Creed teaches so us. So you can't be talking about two different gods, meaning two different substances of God. Mm -hmm. So they say, okay, so 
the word was with God. Therefore, the word isn't a separate essence of God. So that therefore the word can't actually be God because you only have one God, right? Because you can't have another <laughs> God. So you think, oh, okay, we have one God and it's not the word. But then John says, but the word was God. So then you're going, oh no, <laughs> what's going on here? And this is exactly the point of the Athanasian Creed. This is not that hard to understand. Mm-hmm. You have one substance and three persons. And, and we've so what, just learned of two of them right. here. So what John has identified is two persons two of persons. the Trinity. Yeah. We don't know which person he's identified. All we know is he has identified the Word and the other person of the Trinity yeah. that was with him. We, we basically yes. use the Athanasian Creed to ask the question, okay, how do I understand this verse right. properly? The Athanasian properly. Creed teaches me that. One substance, okay, so there's only one God. Three persons, well, there's two two. Things somethings. mentioned here, yeah, right. two somethings. Well, that must be two of the three persons. Exactly, then. that's so, how it fits in. Well, and of that, be careful with that language. Two persons. We're not gonna we're gonna subdivide the persons. Two two so, out of three persons. Right, because we that's can't what divide I the substance. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, two see, out of three persons. See, see the point <laughs> of language, and this this is really what we talked about last week is the importance of this language. And we're to gonna get to that us. later in this podcast too, because it's yes. very easy to play fast and loose or to try and use other words thinking you're saying the same thing and you end up saying something totally different. Right. So stay tuned to the end. And even what Peter just did, right? To say, well, that's two of the three persons. Um, I know what you mean and you're right in what you mean, but those (laughs) words can actually lead to a heresy. Yeah. And, And that's why the creed helps us. Yep. So what John 1 helps us to do is to hold this question in our head. I know that John is Orthodox. This is Scripture. Mm -hmm. So I know he is teaching one substance, which cannot be divided, and three persons, which cannot be confused. Let's see how it plays out. Mm -hmm. So then you keep reading the prologue, and you go down to John 1.14, which really helps us identify a lot of what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now John has identified the two persons thus far in his prologue, right? Mm-hmm. So the person this is see language is hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the second person of the Trinity is the person that takes on flesh. The Father does not take on flesh. The Spirit does not take on flesh. The Son takes on flesh. Mm-hmm. And so one fourteen says this word, who is God. So one essence, three persons. He's going to tell us one substance. One okay, essence and substance, same thing. Sorry. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. One substance, three persons. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the word he's identifying as the second person of the Trinity by saying the word becomes flesh and he identifies him further as the son of the father. So now we have two explicit names for mm-hmm. the persons. Yep. Right. So we have father and son, which go back to your Athanasian creed. Is this how we understand the Trinity? And the answer is yes. Yeah. This is directly how we are reading the Holy Scriptures. As a matter of fact, this is one of the passages 
that explicitly teaches the non-confusion of the Father and the Son. Yeah. Right? Which in the Athanasian Creed, you get the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not not the the Son. son. We also get that the Father is not begotten, but the Son is is begotten. begotten. We're like, oh, Oh, which so is here the only son from the father? From the father. Ooh, there's the begotten. There, you're like, oh, well, okay. So one of the ways to talk about the father is that he's not begotten. Yeah. One of the ways to talk about the son is he is begotten. He is begotten. One of the ways to talk about the father is does not take on flesh. One mm-hmm. of the ways to talk about the son is does. does take on flesh. Yeah. So we're good, and this passage. Not only is the creed informing our understanding of this passage, but but remember, this passage is forming the basis of the creed. The creeds were written because of the teaching of Holy Scripture. Mm-hmm. The creeds don't derive, don't, we do not teach what Scripture says because of the creeds. The creeds were written because of what Scripture teaches. Yeah. And now the creeds exist to help us stay in that orthodox teaching of Holy Scripture. So I think one of the reasons we're doing this is because I think probably the most common view of of the creed, at least in my experience, and I'll speak for myself, is I didn't see the creeds as a hermeneutical tool of how to understand Scripture. It's more a a orthodoxy meter where I can judge whether or not something is Christian. Is it in or out? Mm-hmm. You know, is the person in or out based on, can, do they line up properly on the creeds? And right. so you, you get people like Rob Bell saying, well, you know, can, think of this, the creed as springs in a trampoline and, you know, or doctrines. And, you know, he mentions the creeds. And, you know, if you take out the spring that is the virgin birth, you still have a trampoline and you can still jump on it. And, you know, that's, it's, it kind of gets used like that. So the creed gets used as a standard of orthodoxy, whether you're in or out. And then it's a, a tool of, okay, what's the lowest common denominator thing that we can use so that I can agree that you're a Christian. Um, it becomes the, the bar you have to meet in order to be in. And, and there is a sense in which it, it kind of does measure orthodoxy. But I think this is actually a more helpful way to use the creeds. Well, and, and what you just said is so important. You just you said it so well, is that it, it becomes a lowest common denominator of theology. And yeah. this is one of those things that sounds good at first, but when you think about it, <laughs> why would I want the lowest common denominator for theology? That's the right. worst possible scenario. I mean, we want... We want to rejoice in the fullness of the truth, not to find the, the lowest I can get. The, the lowest and common denominator is more akin to the, the wide way yeah, than the narrow way. Right. <laughs> That's moving us towards wide. And, and, I mean, just think about that for a second. Is We are always kind of saying to God, what can I get away with and still be saved? Yeah. And the creeds just destroy that. They, they walk you into a world of God and faith and Christ and the church that is so much larger than anything you've ever conceived of and so much richer. And, and those are summary statements. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it is like opening the door to a world you've never even conceived of existing. And the Athanasian Creed 
one of the reasons people freak out about it because it's so long and it sounds so complicated, but it really <laughs> isn't. It's really just just kind of cracking the door and saying, look, when you talk about God, keep this in mind. There's one substance and three persons. Don't divide the substance. Don't confuse the persons. Now, one of those persons, which is a weird phrase, but one of those persons of the Trinity became man. Mm-hmm. And in that one person, there are two natures. You can't split the person and you can't combine the natures. It's that simple. Yeah. That's it. So now, when you keep that intention, right? When you keep all of that in your head, which isn't that much, right? One substance, three persons, don't divide the substance, don't confuse the persons. One person, two natures, don't divide the person, don't confuse the natures. When you keep that intention, here's the kicker. All of this is for your salvation. All of it. Mm-hmm. The Trinity, the incarnation, the death, resurrection, descent, ascent, second coming. It's all for your salvation and this is the one faith Mm -hmm. the only faith and and we can't miss this people just cruise past the beginning and the end of the of the creeds right no no they stop at the beginning and the end because it freaks them out and they get mad right so that's that's (laughs) they don't cruise past it they never get to the rest cruise past it because they don't want to deal with it and then they just read this trinitarian stuff and get confused or they perseverate on the front and the end so much that they, they miss the middle part. Yeah. We don't want to do either one. We want to take the whole creed seriously. Yeah. Well, look at how the creed starts. Whoever desires to be saved, don't don't skip those words. Don't skip those words. Yeah. Who desires to be saved? I mean, that's a huge question in our world today. <laughs> it's kind of what we were talking about before the podcast. Well... I actually don't. Yeah. I mean, and and I, I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm like, hey, you know, it's really good news. God loves you. And they kind of go, well, duh, or who cares? <laughs> and and what happens when the, the people we're talking to don't want to be saved, don't mm-hmm. see any reason to be saved? Mm-hmm. Well, then all this talk about Trinity and incarnation of Jesus, there's no point to it. Right. There's actually no point. And this is one of the things that the church, when the creed serves as hermeneutics, which which is really a beautiful role of the creeds in the history of the church, it also teaches us the basis for which we confess the creeds. We are bearing witness to the truth of God that results in salvation for man. And even if you don't want it, this is what God has done. And this is where we learn to apply law and gospel, even in our witness to our fellow neighbor, our co-worker, whomever, Mm -hmm. is that we live in a world where people aren't necessarily walking around scared to death of God. Right. We might actually need to proclaim law, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, this creed has got plenty of it. (laughs) So, So you go to the end, right, Peter? Yep, right here at the end. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life. Those who have done evil into eternal fire. Ah! Well, I, and this is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. What? Ouch. Well, I think God has revealed himself in lots of ways. And just because I don't say it your way doesn't mean I can't be saved. 
Yeah. And, uh, and what does this creed say to that? Nope. It's Sorry. This way. This is the only way. This is it. Yeah. No options. This is the narrow way. See, there, there is no wide way. Peter, that's the hermeneutic, right? Yeah. Of this creed. It's not just helping you work through the passages that mention Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just working through the incarnation of Jesus. This is actually what we confess mm-hmm. about who God is. Yeah. You don't have options in this. You don't say, well, there's a God generically, and you get to describe him how you want. I'll describe him how I want. No, 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 no. There's, <laughs> there's no options in this. Yeah. Right? There is a God. And whatever words you want to use to describe essence and being, that gets a little weird. But but all of our confessions of faith say God, there is a God in some way, shape, or form, whatever word you want to use. Is is a weird word. That's why I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. But God exists, whatever exists means. And the God that is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence, one being, one substance, three persons. Well, so to, to take the hermeneutic approach again, and well, we can jump a little further ahead in John where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. No one comes to the Father except by me. Okay, well, how do I understand when Jesus says that? This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. Yeah. That's actually what Jesus is saying. And and you because all of all of the the previous part of this creed is yeah. actually all about Jesus. Right. Who he is, being the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the only way to be saved. And and the creed here right at the end says That's that. There you go. That's th- th- <laughs> this isn't option A. Yeah. This is it. And and right, but the freaky thing is, right? And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, right? Mm-hmm. And those who have done evil into eternal fire. And again, people just freak out and lose their minds. But Especially if they're Lutheran, because they're like, no, 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 no. we're saved by grace you through faith, not can't bring good works. works into this. But in order to misunderstand that part of the creed, you have to ignore everything that's gone before it. Yeah. If you read the creed holistically... This actually bookends with the beginning of the creed, right? So you go to the beginning of the creed. Whoever desires to be saved. So we're talking about, like, I'm guessing not the people who go to eternal fire. (laughs) (laughs) Above all, hold the Catholic faith. And remember, Catholic is not Roman Catholic. It means universal. Yeah, this is small c. The one true, right, small c Catholic faith. Okay. So what is it talking about? Salvation is by faith, mm. right? Yep. And then you go to the end, you talk about good and evil, and you remember from the content of the creed and the content of Holy Scriptures that the only way to do good, to please God, is in faith. Faith in Christ results in, in good works. Good works that please God. Right. If you do not have faith in Christ... You cannot please God. All of your works are evil. Yeah, you have no good works. So if you stand before God on the last day and he's going to judge you and you walk up there with your works loaded up <laughs> and you think you're going to impress him, but you don't have Jesus, you're done. You're toast. Yeah. Literally, you're going to be toast, <laughs> it seems, without the bread part. But if you walk up and your faith is in Christ, 
you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. You've received his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you stand before the judge, the one who is interceding before the Father on your behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you, and you say, I've got nothing. I'm just trusting in him, right? Mm-hmm. His righteousness covers me. His robe of righteousness is on me. And then all of a sudden, what words do you hear from the Heavenly Father? Welcome. Welcome. Enter into your rest. Yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> it's not because of you. It's because of your Savior. Which is reason exactly I know that, what the creed says. Yeah. The, the reason I know that that passage is... I, I can only ever think of Keith Green. Yeah, <laughs> every I know. every time we I go know. through this, yeah. it's it's Keith Green and the Sheep and the Goats, which is a fantastic song. But I I wonder if Keith Green kind of misses it a well, little bit there with with the emphasis where it's like he he's he's just singing pure scripture for the most part in that one, and yet there's still that okay, but putting on Christ. It's like he misses that, and I think the reason I bring that up is because I think that's what we tend to do with this too, where even as we're just taking scripture and reading it as it is, we still put ourselves in there, right? And we skip the whole, oh, putting on Christ, His robes of righteousness, like you said, yeah. I'm with Him, right? And we even as Christians, we still take it and tweak it and say, oh, it's actually about me, right? And what I did. Right. And so when we hear this passage in the creed, we still do that. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we rightfully freak out yeah. <laughs> because we're wrongfully understanding it, wrongly well, understanding it. Or wrongfully, or let's, you know, let's try it with a, a real Lutheran lens on it. The law is hitting me. Yeah. Yeah. I do actually understand it and I'm scared. That's right. I'm Which worried. Which is proper. Yes. So the question is not whether or not you should be affected by the law, but where do you run when the law hits you? Yeah. Do you run to yourself and say, ooh, I've got to fix this so that I can make God happy with me? Or do you run right back to the creed and say, this Jesus, right, God in the flesh, one Christ, two natures, the one who was crucified, died, was buried... He, or we go back up here, who suffered for our salvation. That's right. I mean, that's that's the line you can run to hermeneutically and then you in say, this creed. I, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah. I need a savior. It says it right there, who suffered for our salvation. Yeah. Those who, and then, so when you read, and those who have done good will enter into eternal life, those who have done evil into eternal fire, you don't read that without who suffered for our salvation. Well, and, and They're remember... They're contained in the same creed. Remember Romans 8. You know, this is... This is so important, and, and we sometimes we miss this because Romans 8 has so many other good passages in it. But it says, who, who will condemn us hmm. now that we're in God? It, it, well, the judge is Jesus. Well, so the judge is the one who died to forgive your sins. So if he's all about forgiving your sins, if you're in Christ and God now forgives you because of Christ, and Christ is the judge appointed for the end times, the judge is the one who forgives your sins. You're going to be okay mm-hmm. when he comes. Not because you're so awesome, but because the judge is the one who's having grace on you. Yep. And, and that's exactly what it says here, right? And this one, this one, this Jesus, he ascended into heaven and ascended to the right hand of God, which means he has all power and authority, right? Matthew 28. Mm-hmm. And he will come from thence to judge the living and the dead. 
at his coming, at your Savior's coming, right? Mm-hmm. That's when all this judgment will occur. And the question is, is are you trusting yourself or are you trusting him to be your Savior? Right. Right? And the law precludes you from saying, I got this. I'm good. <laughs> right? You say, yeah. um, let's clarify what you mean by those who have done evil. Do you mean like Hitler evil? Or do you mean what Jesus says? Anyone who sins is a slave to lawlessness. Any sin of any kind. Any sin. Yeah. Of any kind. James, if you've sinned against one, you've broken all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going, oh, you mean that? <laughs> you mean if I have one sin on my record, I'm out. Oh, Lord, who could stand? Yeah. Right? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. And we, we run to the cross and we say, I can't stand. Mm-hmm. I need a Savior. And the Athanasian Creed tells you who your Savior is. Yeah. You don't need to have any doubts about this. Yep. You can, you can run to this creed and you can know that this is the teaching of Scripture condensed into one short creed so that you can really understand who your God is, what he's done for you. And now the other part of the creed is how to share that. Yeah. Right? So that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about next because I, I think perhaps one of the most common ways people will encounter this, um, particularly in, in John 1 with that particular passage, would be maybe the Jehovah's Witness who comes to their door. Yeah. Um, because they're going to read John 1 through an entirely different lens. And I would also, I haven't heard them say this, but I would expect that they reject the Athanasian creed as a creed. Like, nope, that's, that's corrupted by the church. That's not part of history. We throw that out. And so as you are attempting to use the Athanasian creed as a hermeneutic, when you're sharing with your Jehovah's witness, not only are they going to reject your reading of it, they're also rejecting your hermeneutic. So how, how does this actually help in that situation? Well, okay, so that's a really good question. And and I'm going to expand. I'm going to make it worse. Oh, boy. Because It always does get worse before it gets better. Yeah, because the charge, the popular charge against the church right now, if you, if you watch the History Channel or you know Time Magazine on Easter or whatever it is, is that the church made up the deity of Christ. They just made it up. Yeah. Right. Jesus was this great guy. He was a prophet. He was a, maybe a miracle worker. Two or three hundred years things. later, usually Constantine is thrown yeah, in there as know, a we, culprit. We needed a Western god guy that replaced the gods of the Romans or Greeks or whatever, and so this Jesus guy was the best option. So we kind of just elevated his status a little bit and he became like this divine kind of guy. And then as the church developed, it said, Hey, you know, it'd be better if he was just God. Let's just, (laughs) let's just make him God. Right. And he's better than the emperor. He's better than, and so Constantine said, yeah, we're going to make him God. And so the church got together and wrote these creeds and said, you have to believe he's God or you're going to hell. And so he created this religion. Yeah. And, and it's the idea that, that Christology, the, the words about Jesus, that's literally what Christology means right? Words about mm-hmm. Christ, that, that it developed into a high Christology, meaning we had a very high view of Jesus that developed in the history of the church, Yeah, which means it's not in the New Testament. And, and I think that's where the creed helps us because we say, well, 
let's let's see about that. <laughs> you know, let's let's see if the New Testament writers actually believe that Jesus was God. Mm-hmm. And this is very important. So what I invite you to do is, is look at Philippians chapter two. Whenever you have questions about Christology, who Jesus is and the two natures, Philippians chapter two is a good place to go. Oh, cool. Because it's it's kind of like a little Apostles' Creed inside your Bible. <laughs> um, in fact, when you read it, you're like, "Hey, I've read that before." It's the Apostles' Creed. So Philippians chapter two, really, it's verses five through eleven if you get the whole context. But six through eleven is really the the content of the creed that you you're going to understand. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. So right here we have Jesus as God becoming incarnate in the state of humiliation, right? So he's Mm going to become incarnate, and then he's going to enter in the state of humiliation. Yep. Okay? So did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Great. So you could read that and say, okay, that's all well and good. We still have God, the one Mm -hmm. exalting Jesus and giving him stuff. So that passage doesn't prove that the New Testament thinks he's God. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. But keep in mind verse 10. 10, So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Now that's actually an allusion to Isaiah. But what I want you to do is go back to Romans. (laughs) Romans 14 verse 10. Okay? Why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? We all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, which is Yahweh, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So Paul is equating in Philippians the knee bowing to Jesus with Mm. the Old Testament passage that says every knee will bow to Yahweh. Yep. So Paul explicitly understands Jesus to be Yahweh because only worship Yahweh. That is a major tenet of Judaism. Mm-hmm. You can only worship Yahweh. And so Paul in Philippians 2 and Romans 14 is actually equating this verse where every knee shall bow to Yahweh with every knee bowing to Jesus. So Paul actually believes that Jesus is the incarnate Yahweh, right? The God of the Old Testament. Yep. Paul is teaching that God in the flesh is Jesus, which is exactly what the creeds confess, all three <laughs> of them. Now, one more passage. I want you to go to John 20, verse 28, one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. It's the end of John's account of the resurrection, right? Oh, uh, yes. His first, his appearance to Thomas, and Thomas confesses Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's what Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And the important thing is, not only is that allusion to the Old Testament was called the Shema, where we confess it, that our God is one, right? Mm-hmm. But it also, Jesus' response is important because Jesus does not say, don't worship me. Yeah. 
if he did, he'd be saying, I'm not God. But instead, he calls Thomas blessed. And everyone who confesses what Thomas confesses to also be blessed, Mm -hmm. which means Jesus believes he's God. John believes Jesus is God. Thomas believes he's God. And Paul believes he's God. So it's pretty this clear. This is way before Constantine. This is way before Wait decrees were written. This is way before Constantine. This is way before any commentaries were written. Yeah. Right? Even if you date Paul late, Paul dies in 65 or 66. Okay? Mid-60s is the death of Paul. Okay. Philippians is written by Paul. Really, no one questions that. So you have Romans and Philippians written by Paul before the mid-60s complaining Jesus to be God. This is not a late development. This is right away. You have John, one of the apostles, one of the original 12, confessing Jesus to be God. You have him recording one of the apostles a week after Easter confessing Jesus to be God. And Jesus says that's the correct thing to say. So what the creed reminds us is to go back and read the scriptures. The scriptures teach from beginning to end that God exists in one substance, three persons. Don't divide the substance. Don't confuse the persons. The second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is God, one person, two natures, yep. right? You cannot divide that person into two. You can't have a divine Jesus and a human Jesus running around. Nope, there's just one Jesus. <laughs> and in that Jesus, you have two natures, divine and human. And you can't confuse those two natures, nor can you create a third nature, okay? So... This is the teaching of the scriptures, and the Athanasian Creed lays it out for us and reminds us that all of this is not just heady theology. This saves you. Yep. This is the God who saves you, and yep. this is how he has done it. Now, we have one thing at the end here because it's time to wrap up, but we've actually forgotten one of the of persons of the Trinity, right? which is like the common accusation of Lutherans that we, we forget about him. But I'm, I'm just going to answer that really quick. I, th- I think, Kevin, you said this to me. Well, we don't forget about him. He's just always pointing us to Jesus. Right. So the reason he exists is that he points us to Jesus. And I think that's important for us because what I'm about to read, we're, we're going to read it through using the Athanasian Creed as a hermeneutic, but also with this question of, okay, who does it point us to? If you see the Holy Spirit in this way, who's he pointing to? So, right. This is a quote um, from a sermon by a Lutheran pastor who was actually preached this Pentecost Sunday, which is like the one day of the year that we talk about, we talk about the Holy Spirit. Not, yeah, that Once again, part of the stereotype, which actually right. isn't true. I know my pastor talks about the Holy Spirit quite a bit yeah. throughout the year. Um, so, but this pastor is summarizing Aquinas and Augustine. Mm-hmm. And so, Kevin, you had mentioned, okay, well, we're already into difficult waters there mm-hmm. because <laughs> Augustine's... Trinitarian theology is not quite orthodox in many ways. Yeah. Which is a whole other topic whole in of itself. Topic. But here, here's, here's how this pastor was very excited mm-hmm. about, look, here's an easy way to understand who the Holy Spirit is. This is really great. Aquinas and especially Augustine gave us this way of understanding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. They have so much love such love shared between them that it pours out in the form of the third person of the Trinity. And that love is so intense that it pours out upon us and draws us into relationship with God and keeps us there. Okay. One substance, three persons. Mm -hmm. Don't divide the substance. 
or make it a different substance. Don't right. confuse the persons. Yeah. This this has the the persons. Okay, well, that's actually not the part that bumped me, but this actually makes the Holy Spirit a different substance. Yeah. This is now no longer the same substance. It's a new substance flowing from the Father and the Son. Right. So once again, using the Athanasian Creed as a very basic hermeneutic in this sense, you hear this being taught, and you're like, hold on, that's a different substance. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is not confessing. This is not, or as a hermeneutic, this is not the right way to understand who the Holy Spirit is. Or or this is this is not the way that we talk about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because it can lead to gross misunderstandings. Yeah. It can be okay to talk about it in, in this way, but it's not normal. And that that's why we get, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the sermon continues in some very dangerous ground, right? Yeah. If you continue in the sermon, we don't have time to do that. But, but right. he then takes this idea, and he basically makes the Holy Spirit not a person of the Trinity, but a force that does stuff, which kind of... Therefore, we can take advantage of this, and therefore we can do stuff, and and we've gone a long way from God you, you as do, Trinity. You do see in some strains of Christianity here in the U.S. especially this idea that the Holy Spirit is a power you can tap into. Exactly. If you have enough exactly. faith or the right kind of it's faith exactly right. or you approach it in the right way, it's this well of divine power that you can just access and use according to your own will, in a sense. Um, and so, yeah, talking about the Holy Spirit as th- this love that flows from the Father and the Son as a separate, different substance yeah. leads you into very dangerous <laughs> waters. And this is, right, what you just said is the value of the creeds. The creeds refuse to allow you to do that, right? Mm. The creeds always center all this talk. Notice this. Please notice this. All the creeds center our talk on the incarnation of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, you just, you said, well, we haven't talked much about the Holy Spirit. But I want I want everyone to hear this and, and think this through, is that whenever someone confesses the faith, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. That is the Holy Spirit. I say this all the time. The fact that I'm not the only one confessing the creed means the Holy Spirit is at work in my congregation. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The fact that I'm confessing the creed means the Holy Spirit's at work because yeah. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. And so the when fact you that wanna, I'm a Christian at all, yeah, is because the Holy Spirit has done what He's supposed to do. And so when you say Lutherans don't confess the Holy Spirit, I say yes, we do. <laughs> we show up every Sunday and rejoice in His work. I mean, look at us. Yeah. I. I, and I'm serious about this. I actually look around during the creed and I'm, I'm like, God, thank you that you are faithful to your promises about your church. Think about all the promises about the church. Mm-hmm. This is the body of Christ united. This is the body of Christ. The gates of Hades cannot stand against it. This is the body of Christ of which he is the head. I mean, just think about all those promises that have to be kept by God to keep the, the church the church. We could easily wander off and be anything else. Yeah. But it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Mm. And in a world in which that's a crazy statement, yeah, <laughs> and you agree with me in that, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. 
right? Yep. And and like you said, that's the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus, keeping us in the one true faith. That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Pointing us to Christ. The creeds pointing us to Christ. The Holy Spirit pointing us to Christ. Hopefully, we're doing the same thing in this podcast because that is the crucial conversation. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.